Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Iranian military personnel were on the ground in Crimea and assisted Russia in these operations. We continue to see Iran be complicit in terms of exporting terror, now also to Ukraine. Putin has no interest, has shown no interest in in, in any kind of diplomatic uh, movement. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. This illegitimate regime, their judgment day is on 8 November. There are individuals who didn't uh, come before our committee. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Iranian boots on the ground in Ukraine. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As the White House says, the troops were sent there to help Russia use their new drones, the same kamikaze drones used against civilians this week. We'll have the latest from Washington and insights ahead from William Taylor, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Later, Steve Bannon gets four months in prison the same day Donald Trump is subpoenaed to testify before the January 6th committee. We'll talk about both with Bloomberg Washington reporter Mike Dorning. And as President Biden predicts Democrats will keep Congress in the midterms, we'll get analysis from our signature panel of Friday with Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. We know Russia has been using drones provided by Iran to target civilians over the past week. We've seen horrifying images and read terrifying stories, heard harrowing accounts. The U.S. says, though, that not only have Iranian drones been used by Russia, and that's not real news. This has been around for a bit. The Iranians themselves are there. Iranian boots on the ground in Russia-occupied areas of Ukraine. Here's State Department spokesman Ned Price. We assess that Iranian personnel, Iranian military personnel, were on the ground in Crimea and assisted Russia in these operations. Russia denies it's even using Iranian-made drones, uh, which did not keep the European Union from announcing new sanctions, sanctions on an Iranian aerospace company and three Iranian generals for providing them. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder says this, this new Iranian element has not, however, been enough to turn the tide. Here he is. From a strategic standpoint, it still doesn't change the fact uh, that Russian forces on the ground continue to uh, lose territory or at best hold ground. But more drones are coming from Iran is the word today from Secretary of State Antony Blinken making things ever more complex in Ukraine. This idea of Iranian boots on the ground. Let's bring in William Taylor who I know has strong feelings about all of this, the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, now vice president Russia in Europe at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Ambassador, welcome back to Bloomberg. How significant is it to have Iranian trainers inside Ukraine, whether it's called Russian-occupied Ukraine or not? So, Joe, it's, it is significant. Um, and, and the significance is demonstrates what trouble, what difficulty, what a bind Russia is in. So Russia does not have the ability to manufacture weapons of of, uh, precision-guided munitions 
why? Because they don't have the components. They can't import the components. Yep. The United yep. States and, and other nations have denied them, denied the Russians. So they have to go other places. And apparently they've gone to Iran. Apparently they've gone to North Korea. That's what they're, that's what they're mm-hmm. reduced to. So it is significant. We've kept a distance, though, with all of the hardware that we have provided Ukraine. We pull Ukrainians out of the country and bring them to NATO countries like Poland or Romania to train them and send them back. Now, Russia, and of course, you know, there's a lot of gray area here. Russia just brings the Iranians right into Ukraine, but they do it in areas that they call Russia. And I suspect we'll see this in in other zones as well. But it increases the, the risk level, right? If we get into a direct engagement or if Ukraine does in a direct engagement uh, with Iranian forces. Doesn't that change the game? I'm not sure it changes the game. No? Um, but Well, um, it, if the Iranian forces are in, let's say, Crimea, mm-hmm. which we recognize and the world recognizes as part of Ukraine, we know that the Ukrainians, apparently without our weapons, on the, using their own weapons, have struck targets, military targets, inside of Crimea. So the Iranians are taking some risk in basing in Crimea and and having the training go on there to help the Russians figure out how to use these drones. There's some risk. uh, They're vulnerable to attack from the Ukrainians. We're seeing drone warfare uh, perfected uh, in this conflict, certainly advanced the way the Ukrainians had used drones uh, to sink the flagship uh, uh, ship in the in the Black Sea, that Russian ship, uh, the way that they have used them to protect themselves as well. I spoke earlier this week with, of all people, Mark Hamill, the, the actor, Luke Skywalker, who's signed on as Ukraine's so-called ambassador of drones. Maybe you guys will get together at a cocktail party or something, ambassador, but he's helping to raise money for drones and to get donations of drones for Ukraine. Listen to the way he put it. Ukraine needs drones. And, you know, they, they define war outcomes. They, uh, they protect their land, their people. Their, they monitor the border. They're their eyes in the sky. And not just, we're not just looking for monetary contributions, but if you have an actual drone. I saw that. I was really shocked because, I mean, they give me these updates at least two or three times a week mm-hmm. about what's going on. And they said... They've received over 500 drones. Incredible. <laughs> so I started this. I know. He, he's obviously doing what he can to help, and that's all for United 24, this uh, government uh, uh, program to raise money for these types of things for Ukraine. Ambassador Taylor, I just wonder what this leads to uh, in, in sort of a new generation of warfare. So it is a new generation, new generation Joe. You're exactly right. Uh, and both sides, as you say, are using these drones. Um, the Ukrainians are using these drones to, uh, to direct their artillery. And their artillery has been enhanced, as we know, uh, by the Americans and by other, other NATO nations to give them the ability to strike deep, to, the Ukrainians the ability to strike deep. And in order to strike deep with accuracy, they need to know exactly where the targets are. So the drones give them that ability. Um, and the drones also are very valuable in identifying other targets that are that are on the front line. So yes, uh, uh, and they, these could be civilian drones. Mm-hmm. Um, the eyes um, and that that we're talking about here are very valuable for in the military, but they don't have to. They don't have to be weaponized. They've been incredible in in uh, evening the playing field and what has been 
or at least was at first perceived to be a David and Goliath uh, conflict. You can judge for yourself if it still is. But John Kirby, the the retired uh, admiral now speaking for the National Security Council, admiral says uh, they will consider new sanctions against Iran because of this revelation. What would those sanctions look like? Would it matter? Probably would matter. It's a strong signal. The, the the sanctions that we already have on Iran, like the ones we have on Russia, do have an effect. Um, they send a message uh, that you are not a, you. If, if you're a, an official, Iranian official or a Russian official, responsible for these war crimes or this war, this unprovoked war uh, that the Russians are fighting, then you're subject to, to being sanctioned. The real sanctions though, Joe, are the, are the ones on the economy, on the Russian economy in particular. Yeah. Um, and of course, the Iranians have, have known what that is. And that is that is hurting the Russian ability to, to continue to pursue this war. So when's the time for a serious conversation about secondary sanctions? And I know everyone in Washington is kind of afraid to talk about that. But isn't that where we're going here, whether it's Iran or China, whoever's trying to help Russia? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And you're right to bring up China. China is a very interesting case. They... Um, while they professed before the war, before the Russians invaded Ukraine, uh, the Chinese and Russians, that is President Xi and President Putin, got together and they said they were going to work together. There's no limit to their cooperation. Right. Yeah. right. We remember this, whatever this comment. However, it was on the eve of the war, it was on the eve of the war is at the, at the Olympics, uh, the opening mm. of the Olympics in Beijing. Exactly right. And um, the Russians have been disappointed at the support that they're not getting from the Chinese. The Russians have wanted financial support or on this topic that we're talking about now, the Russians have wanted the Chinese to help the Russians get around, evade these sanctions. And the, and the Chinese have said, no, they're not gonna do it. Why? Secondary sanctions. They don't wanna be sanctioned for breaking these, these uh, sanctions on the Russians. We got enough trouble with the United States at the moment. Can we assume the Iran nuclear deal is dead? Am I asking you a dumb question here? No, you're not asking a dumb question at all. It sounds like there's not much interest on our side. Well, with this stuff going on, how does that even how is that even possible? Exactly. How do you how do you have a negotiation with someone who is arming the Ukrainians um, in support of the Russians? But it's also complicated uh, where the Russians the Russians have been part you know supportive of this deal, and now probably not so much. What is this going to look like between now and winter, Ambassador? So much is said, and I know that you're not a you're not a, a general, you're an ambassador, but so much is said about the closing window because of the season. We're talking about the use of drones in a lot of creative ways by uh, certainly at least Ukraine and some deadly ways by Russia. But how can Ukraine continue to close the gap before it gets too cold? The right question. That's exactly the right question, Joe. And... The real key, um, the, the real important factor um, on the ground in Ukraine is infantry, is soldiers. Um, and the soldiers are the ones that are moving the boundaries, that are pushing the Russians back. Um, the artillery is important to help them do that. The drones are important for the artillery, like we were just saying. But it's really the, the uh, Ukrainian military on the ground that is steadily in some cases, rapidly pushing the Russians back out of their country. This is going very ra- rapidly, as we've seen. Uh, it's a route in the north. It's it's a it's 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 still moving in the south, not as fast. Yeah. But what might happen? What we should keep our eye on is Kherson. 
that the city down there is on the west side of this river, of the, of the main river, Dnieper River, that's going down towards the Black Sea. And the Kherson has about 20,000 Russian soldiers there that are about to be cut off, Joe. If they're cut off, if they're surrounded, yeah. they don't have a way to get out and they don't have a way to resupply. They're in trouble. He knows Ukraine as well as anyone we can talk to on Bloomberg. William Taylor, many thanks. Should have his own broadcast. I could listen to you all day. Former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, now at the U.S. Institute of Peace. And kicking off the fastest hour in politics on a Friday, we've got the panel next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You know, that conversation with Mark Hamill that we had earlier this week, the ambassador of drones has gone viral online. Even the Russian embassy was tweeting about it today. We know they're listening right now. Maybe we should do a remote right over there on Wisconsin Avenue. Yeah, really, the Russian embassy... Uh, tweeting some upset about the shirt, I guess, that President Zelensky was wearing in one of the many pickups that we got. Man, everybody got clicks on that one. Everyone got a piece of Mark Hamill saying that 500 drones now have already been gathered on behalf of Ukraine. We assemble the panel, and it's great to have Rick Davis back with us. And of course, Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel, wouldn't be really Friday without both of them together here Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Rick, welcome back. When you hear uh, this idea about Iranian boots, and I don't know, you know, we're, we're talking about trainers here. It's not like they've got infantry running around, but Iranian operatives, whatever you want to call them, on the ground in Ukraine, isn't that upping the ante? Uh, yeah, and I think we just need to level set this too. There's a UN ban, a Security Council ban on the transfer of weapons like these that the Iranians have sent to Russia or sent to Ukraine on behalf of the Russians. So it's not like just this is some kind of a transaction. They're violating UN Security Council rules against the transport of these kinds of weapons. And then you add insult to injury by flaunting that 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 ignorance of, of, of the law by then sending operatives there. And it shouldn't shock any of us that the Russians didn't know how to use a controller, right? I mean, you know, it's it's just <laughs> it's just more evidence that the Russian military is really, you know, Stone Age in their thinking. And yeah. so now they've got to send these Iranians. And and we should also remember that while all this is going on where the Iranians are exporting this kind of terror, they're also creating a crackdown at home against legitimate democracy protesters who are tired of a repressive regime. So, you know, it's one of the worst regimes in the world right now. And, 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 and frankly, I don't think the world is doing enough to sanction uh, Iran, both because of the export of terror in the skies over Ukraine, but also the way they're treating their own people at home. We should be clear, this information is coming from the White House, Jeannie. It's not like Russia announced this. In fact, listen to uh, Ned Price, again, the spokesman for the State Department. Russia and Iran continue to lie, continue to claim that there's no there there. 
the Iranians continue to claim that they are not providing this material uh, and for indisputable proof to continue to emerge. So you want to believe me or your lying eyes, Jeannie? That's right. And, and, and the EU said they're putting new sanctions on. They described right. these as kamikaze drones um, that Russia has used. And let's not forget the impact of this. Now, 40 percent of the civilian energy has been destroyed or impacted by this. The latest reports about their their mining this area around this hydroelectric power plant, this dam that they are threatening to blow up. And they're not sure, you know, if or when that's going to happen. But certainly that yeah. is a big threat. The damage to the civilian infrastructure, but civilians on the ground. This is a real attempt at a war of attrition on Russia's part, being aided by Iran at the same time, as Rick mentioned, while these protests by dissidents are going on in Iran. And you've got the Biden administration engaging in talks with Elon Musk to provide some kind of Starlink satellite inside Iran to support mm -hmm. protesters there. So it's a very complicated set of set of circumstances, rather. And the Russians' relentless focus on civilians and civilian infrastructure is something that if they aren't stopped could really result in grave danger that's that's the reality on the ground there Jeannie's referring to a story by the way that actually was it came from president Zelensky himself he claims that russia has mined uh, a major hydroelectric dam in in, in ukraine in the ukraine that 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 would flood dozens of towns if they blew this thing it could be if this happens uh, a horrifying development uh, in the war, but the drones we're talking about, Rick, the, these kamikaze drones, I thought it was interesting to read on the terminal that, you know, we've actually managed to get uh, these materials so we could take a look at them. You know, the, some of the, the drones that, that have been shot down and, and have or, or, or have some pieces left from after they blow up. And we're trying to find vulnerabilities and see how we might be able to help defend Ukraine or shoot them down. Don't we have all of this technology already? Well, first of all, uh, drone uh, uh, drone use as a military weapon, especially uh, what they call loitering munitions, which is what these mm -hmm. are. They fly around looking for a target and then go kill it. And as as Jeannie said, you know that that's the kamikaze part. They blow yeah. themselves up. Um, it's a relatively new uh, development on the battlefield, right? And we're seeing it play out for us right in front of you, in, you know, in Ukraine. And so the the protections against it, the anti drone technology, comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. But it hasn't really been proven on the battlefield because we haven't really had to defend against you know swarms and right. and, and lone raiders like these. So uh, yes, there are ways uh, uh, both through electronic measures, uh, disconnecting the operator from the drone and it falls out of the sky, huh. uh, or you know different ways of trying to actually shoot down the drone. We see vic pictures of those coming out of uh, Ukraine where they're launching rockets uh, against these drones, and so. Uh, it, it is an experiment right now as to what is the most effective way to, to neutralize this kind of threat. But look, I mean, Iran has been uh, uh, marketing these drones around the world to other despotic regimes. You know, you can look at them up on the Internet. It's almost like, you know, come buy a drone and attack your own people with it. And, wow. and so uh, it, it isn't new, but uh, I would say uh, it's, it's a development on the battlefield that's going to reshape war as we know it. You heard the ambassador, Jeannie. Does this end in, in additional sanctions against Iran? 
It, it will. I think we're going to see increasing sanctions, but quite frankly, it's probably not going to be enough. And, and you know, let's not forget, at the same time, you have everybody from President Biden to Mike Pence saying to Republicans like Kevin McCarthy, who may take over the House soon, yeah. you can't defund this, uh, this uh, effort. You cannot cut this aid. And that is a very real threat as we look at the damage on the ground. It's going to be a huge debate in the next year. Rick and Jeannie, thank you. They're with us for the hour. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. It was quite the scene uh, when Steve Bannon arrived today for his sentencing. Give a listen. Remember, this illegitimate regime, their, their judgment day is on 8 November when the Biden administration ends. I want to thank you all for coming. Thanks. By the way. Oh, hello. And remember... Take down the CCP. Thank you. Okay. By the way, CCP. Thank- People are yelling traitor in the background. It was crazier when he came out. Uh, this, of course, the longtime advisor to Donald Trump. Not just four months in jail, but also $6,500 fine, uh, which shouldn't be too much of a problem for him, I'm assuming, because he's been raising money on this story Uh, for quite a while, and it happens the same day that Donald Trump gets the subpoena. A lot of people were asking me, how would this another subpoena? No, this is the same subpoena that you saw them uh, uh, vote on in the January 6th committee at the very end. Remember, they took a vote very end of the last uh, committee hearing, supposedly the last one that'll be on TV. Well, he got that today, and it says that he must testify beginning November 14th. For however long it takes, this could be days, and he's got to hand over the documents that have been subpoenaed by the 4th of November. Now, Mike Dorning has been following this all along, Bloomberg politics reporter and uh, one of the voices of reason here in the Washington Bureau at Bloomberg. Mike, it's uh, great to have you. Thank you for being here. Is it a coincidence these come down the same day? It is a coincidence that these come down the same day, as far as I know. Uh, Great to be here, Joe, by the way. Great to have you, sir. Uh, So four months is, does that end up being good news for Steve Bannon? I mean, I realize people should understand the significance. He's the first Trump ally to actually be sentenced to prison for anything involving January 6th. But he's turned this into a franchise also, hasn't he? Oh, for sure. And he's, um, you know, obviously using the moment to try to embolden uh, turnout in in the election, saying, hey, the judgment day is November 8th. Um, actually, the judgment day on the Biden administration is going to be two years hence, but he needs the people to come out at this midterm election. The sentence is not that far from the maximum sentence of six months. Um, the judge gave him a little bit of credit. Um, huh. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of question about where he was going to go, and now I'm reading it'll be at a low-security lockup. What's his life going to be like? Uh, well, it's um i i don't know the federal prisons that well but these low security lockups tend not to be that bad they tend to be you're with white collar criminals it's um you know dormitories and okay you, you might not book it for a hotel but it's not awful so he's not going to be like in you know in 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 the the alcatraz style prison we're all this prison cell we're picturing no right? he'll so. be like with insider traders and <laughs> okay. people who Concocting the next scheme. Uh, Sorry, the subpoena goes to Donald Trump. Uh, That's just a formality, right? Did we were these dates known beforehand? I mean, is there any chance he testifies on the fourteenth? The dates weren't known beforehand. He says, or people close to him have him saying that oh, he would love to testify, Uh um, you know, and wants to do so publicly. Uh, Most 
people think his lawyers would tell him not to testify because if he says something untruthful, then you know he would be um, he could be prosecuted under mm-hmm. the law for a false statement. Well, so all right, okay, so there you go. After what we saw today with Steve Bannon, uh, the the House could vote on whether to make a criminal referral, as you report, uh, to Attorney General Merrick Garland. Uh, a former president's a lot different than Steve Bannon. Is there any chance of that happening? Uh, you know, the House could vote after November 14th to make a criminal referral. Yeah, a but lame he duck could house. Al- lame potentially, duck house. Potentially. But he could also, you know, try to get a court order uh, and fight the subpoena on grounds of executive privilege or something else and drag this on. And then, lo and behold, we'd be on to the next Congress. So there's a good chance, in reality, he could drag it on until it's kind of a moot issue. Okay, so that's the strategy then, right? You just let this uh, you let this kind of bleed out for the rest of the year, assuming Republicans take the House, and they, they do plan, Kevin McCarthy has planned, to dissolve this committee all along, right, if he has the chance to do it. Yeah, and even if he doesn't, he would get a chance to uh, appoint the members of the committee, and the ones McCarthy uh, appoints might not uh, be yeah. as insistent. I appreciate the uh, insights, as always. Mike Dorning, have a great weekend, Mike. Thanks for being here. Bloomberg Politics reporter with us on Bloomberg Sound On. See what the panel thinks about this quickly. Uh, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Jeannie, does this change anything in, in, in sort of the broader January 6th case to see Steve Bannon go to jail, or does it just enable him to have more fun when he gets out? You know, from the looks of it, when he came out afterwards, he did not seem deterred at all, if that was the judge's intent, talking about deterrence, and he seemed ready to go and fundraise. You know, the judge gave him time, obviously, on this appeal. He's not going to go to jail, so I don't think it's going to change anything. And certainly the president, the former president, is going to be able to say he's got executive privilege, that Steve Bannon never had that. And so we're not going to see anything out of this subpoena with Trump, except for the opportunity for the committee to say in their report that they gave him an opportunity to respond you that's know, really we, what this is about okay god we you heard steve bannon going in and you like one person yelling trade or whatever listen to the the craziness when he came out here's steve bannon again on november 8th there's gonna have judgment on the illegitimate biden regime and quite frankly and quite frankly the nancy pelosi and the entire committee and we know which way that's going either they've already been turfed out like Liz Cheney, right, or have quit, like Kinzinger and other the Democrats, or they're about to be beaten like Luria and others. Okay, so he's name-checking politicians here, uh, Rick Davis, who he thinks, you know, will be will be brought down on Judgment Day. Of course, Adam Kinzinger has already, you know, made up his own mind, uh, but framing November 8th as Judgment Day, he probably sees it as worth going through this to boost turnout or passion ahead of the election, right? Well, certainly he sees it worth going through as long as his appeal works and he doesn't have to spend four months in prison. So I'd say nobody looks forward to that as a trade-off to political activism. It's not like he couldn't go stand in front of a bunch of, you know, radio and TV cameras and say the same thing and get the same reaction. I would say that nobody would have probably taken him live like they did today and actually honor this kind of uh, diatribe. But the, the bottom line is that uh, he's going to try and take credit for election wins uh, that Republicans have in the House. And uh, to some degree, you know, he'll be emboldened by that. Does he win the appeal? Is that a real case? Uh, I wouldn't know how to, to handicap that, yeah. but I wouldn't count him out. Stand by Rick and Jeannie, our panel. They're back in just a moment as we turn to the latest 
forecast, the midterm forecast from President Biden. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's impressive to read on the terminal the U.S. budget deficit saw a record drop in the 2022 fiscal year. Second straight annual drop. That for the fiscal year through September narrowed to $1.4 trillion. <laughs> from a revised $2.78 trillion the previous year, and President Biden wanted to tell people about it today, this idea that his plans are coming together to lower the deficit. And he, that's even after the Treasury accounted for this move to forgive student loan debt. And the president says, boy, with the midterms in mind, and that was you know part of the design of this event, if Republicans take over, well, you know what, here he is. Republicans in Congress are doubling down on their commitment to explode the deficit again. Just this week, it's hard to make this stuff up. Just this week, Republican leaders said if they get their way, they're going to extend the tax, the Trump tax cuts, which are due to expire in a couple of years. Extend them. They said they'll repeal the corporate minimum tax of just 15 percent that I just signed in law. 15 percent. He can't believe that this message is not taking hold, as Republicans are, of course, expected to win the House in this high inflationary environment with so many things to talk about here. And it just reminds me, thinking of Joe Biden today at the podium, like, you know, I licked the deficit and still reminds me of that classic scene on Saturday Night Live. Remember? Governor Dukakis rebuttal. I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. And here we are in 2022, uh, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano with us. Is it just, Rick, about, I mean, should we just give up the ghost on this deficit issue and, and acknowledge publicly that nobody cares about it? You know, I think voters do care about it. I think it's 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 difficult for uh, candidates and uh, uh, members of Congress and administration personnel to articulate it well. Uh, uh, I, we've seen it play heavily in past elections. Ronald Reagan got elected on it. Yeah, uh, that was a long time ago. Though. That was I a mean, long time ago. But that's also when parties actually had a difference of opinion on federal debt. Yeah. Uh, now it's basically everyone's a big spender. Republicans right. lost their mojo on it. I mean, it's not... It's, it's not shocking, but it's shocking to me that you have a Democratic president talking about how much better the Democratic <laughs> Party is than the Republican Party on debt relief. Yeah, the reality is none of them are really be, particularly good. Well, that's true. And it's always the minority gets religion on, on deficits, right? When, you know, when they have no say in spending, Jeannie. But be, we don't really hear Republicans talk about it. There is a small contingent of Republicans who have talked about this, but to your point, it, it's usually when they're out of power that they talk about it and they blame it on the party in power. And we've heard that, you know, a little bit throughout the Biden administration. But, you know, I think that Joe Biden is actually making a case that Democrats need to make more, which is don't compare me to some mythical godlike figure. Compare me to who we're actually running <laughs> against. There's a choice here. And that choice, he's going to say, is either Republican 
Republicans who will cut Social Security benefits, increase the deficit, you know, yeah. end corporate minimum, all those things. Or there's, or there's us, and I may not be perfect, but I'm better than the alternative. And I think this is yeah. something that Democrats have got to keep saying because the reality is the president did sign a good number of bills this summer, much more than people thought he would. And the policies, for the most part, are supported by at least small majorities of Americans in many But doesn't cases. he need to connect the dots to inflation, though? Explain at least that this is about... You know, helping to lower prices here that in the end a lower deficit will do. Otherwise, he's helping to elect Republicans, Rick. He says, look, they're going to extend the 2017 tax cuts. Well, great. We'll all vote Republican then. It is arguable that this year Joe Biden has been the greatest weapon for the Republican Party <laughs> that there is. Look, I mean, it, in the same day that he is touting his prowess as a deficit cutter, he adds $500 billion to the deficit by doing the student loan program. I mean, it yeah. just doesn't make any sense that you do one thing and then do exactly the opposite, all in the same press conference. Uh, well, yeah, a couple. And there were two events today. Early, He was talking about the midterms, uh, Jeannie. And, you know, who needs the Cook political report uh, when you've got the president of the United States? You know, the new forecast is out from 538. Joe Biden is asked in, a, in an event that was, to Rick's point, about student loan debt forgiveness. Uh, he was asked about uh, his expectations for the midterm elections, having seen, you know, the whole story we've talked about, a Democratic momentum slowing and the thought that maybe Democrats peaked a little too early here to, to actually hold the House or, or maybe even keep the Senate in the midterms. Here's the president. The polls have been all over the place. I think uh, that we're going to see one more shift back to our side in the closing days. And let me tell you why I think that. We're starting to see some of the good news on the economy. Gas prices are down sharply in 46 of the 50 states because of what I've been doing. We're moving in the right direction. There's more to come. State unemployment today, state unemployment, was all-time lows in 11 states, and 17 states have unemployment rates under 3%. Jeannie, none of those factors have seemed to matter until now. Why would they in the next two weeks? You know, it's shocking to hear the president say he thinks they're going to come back, um, you know, and not to trust the polls and things are getting better. You know, Joe Biden has got to make that case. I think he's trying to make it to your point on the economic issue. It is not resonating in the polls. And that's why I think he really does have to do more about what he said today, which is to focus on the wins he did get mm -hmm. and to talk about how inflation, to Nancy Pelosi's point the other day, is a global problem. And by comparison, we are doing better. He's got to be empathetic with all of us because we are feeling the you know the difficulty the economic hardship that is out there yeah. so they've got to be empathetic but they've also got to make the case that they're on the right track and it's going to take time i don't know if it's going to work i'm not as confident as joe biden that it's going to work in a few weeks but that's the case that they have to make is it just the president's job to say that rick or his political advisors telling him that yeah, to steal a British phrase that probably is being overused in London right now is he's oh, got to keep that stiff upper lip, right? Yeah, I mean, right. he's got to be the chief campaigner in in office also, and and so sure, uh, so he's trying choice. to sell he's trying to sell a big push at the end, but you know, as you described, I mean, you know, the polls are not just changing; they're collapsing for Democrats in a lot of different places around the country, and the odds now uh, of the uh, Republicans taking control of both chambers have increased dramatically since a month ago. So, yeah. you know, it, it, overturning that momentum is going to be hard to do without some big action-forcing event, some October surprise. And right now there, there doesn't seem to be a surprise that's uh, in the works.
There have been a lot of questions about why we didn't get the full court press on student loan debt forgiveness from this administration, why there have really only been passing references to it from the president in some of his recent speeches. But today was the day, a big formal event about this. And listen to the way he framed the argument against those who've criticized this, largely Republicans, and he's name-checking them as being unfair. Here's Joe Biden. Marjorie Taylor Greene, she got over, she and her husband got $180,000 in business loans forgiven from the PPP program. She said it's completely unfair for us to forgive student loans for working and middle-class Americans. Representative Vern Buchanan of Florida said our plan was reckless. Guess how much he got in that program forgiven? $2,300,000. Listen to the crowd. It's not a joke. Okay, so how come he hasn't been doing that all along, Jeannie? Uh, he should be doing that. It is, you know, using the old hypocrite model, and it, it can be effective. I, you know, I don't think, however, it changes the reality of this student loan forgiveness plan. And the fact is, the plan does very little to address the bottom line issue on why colleges and universities are so expensive. And in fact, it may make the situation worse. And we've already seen that it's been scaled back over the last few weeks and will continue to be so. So I think the policy itself is problematic, but the president's going to go out and tout it because it's a big part of his efforts to reach a certain constituency. Would you help the president frame the argument that way, Rick? Is that is that really I mean, look, we're, those are the very people who are trying to to to, to attack the president on this plan. Yeah, uh, I think at some point the president's got to focus on, like, what is the broad message and not sort of pick off individual members and their their conduct on this kind of stuff. It feels good, but it doesn't really help the broader party to try and win elections across the board. Uh, so I, I, I think the, the one thing this administration just hasn't gotten a grip on is inflation in the economy. And, and that is the number one thing that people are saying they're going to vote on this year. And they still don't have a message around it. I mean, with all due respect, student loan forgiveness, even if it's big and it's 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 glitzy and you're putting an incredible amount of, you know, uh, debt to work, uh, you're you're not really talking about the, the, the hopes, dreams and aspirations of voters as they're going to vote in this election. So until he gets right with the inflation and the economy, he's not talking to voters about the things they care about. Well, you know, the beginning of next week, when when next week dawns, we're going to be talking about two weeks to Election Day, which gives me the sweats a little bit. But beyond that, uh, two weeks left. You know where the president's going this weekend, Jeannie? Rehoboth tell, Beach. Tell me, Joe Matthew, to the beach. <laughs> going to Rehoboth. I mean, is, is that exactly where he should be? You know, this is not a president who we've talked about who has gone out and, and done big rallies or those kinds of things. He They just simply don't work for Joe Biden. And I would just say that, you know, they didn't work so well, again, for Barack Obama or Donald Trump in their midterms either. The reality is this has very little to do with Joe Biden. This is how midterm elections work in the United States. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. him going around the country where he's not wanted and potentially could do more damage would be a good plan either. How about you, Rick? Would you tell him to do exactly that? Uh, Stay at home? Sure. Um, uh, Look, I mean, these candidates don't want to nationalize this race because if they do, they're going to they're going to they're going to get worse, not better. So the local localization, you know, how do I become if I'm running for governor or mayor, uh, the local guy? Uh, Talk about the local issues. That's the winner issue. Voiced from the expert Rick Davis. And our expert analysis from Jeannie Shanzano. Great conversation. Thanks to both of you Bloomberg Politics contributors. Next week, the big debate, Dr. Oz, John Fetterman. That's Tuesday. You know we'll have it here. I'm Joe Matthew. Have a great weekend.
This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.